Welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. In this podcast, we explore the weekly Torah portion in about 7 to 10 minutes. We make modern meaning out of ancient texts, exploring them through liberal Jewish eyes. To become a supporter of this podcast, please visit patreon.com slash 7-Minute Torah. All right, welcome to 7-Minute Torah. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. This week we are reading the double portion of Matot Masay. Before we jump in, one quick announcement, which is that this Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, so that's noon Pacific, I'm offering a class on Zoom that's called Shabbat, Sexuality, and Redemption in L'cha Dodi. So we're going to be exploring L'cha Dodi, the Friday night song that you might know from services, and we'll talk about what it means, where it comes from, and how it relates concepts like rest and love and tikkun olam. If you're interested, you can sign up at laasok.org, L-A-A-S-O-K.org, or as always, send me an email, rabbistreifer at gmail.com. Now, as I said, we're reading a double portion this week. Matot Maseh brings the book of Numbers to an end, and this is pretty much Numbers chapters 30 through 36, through the end. And what's happening here is that the Torah is wrapping up the 40 years' journey in the desert. The Israelites have made their way all the way to the border of the Promised Land. They're sitting just on the other side of the Jordan River in what the Torah calls the Steps of Moab. Moab is the land on the other side of the river, which is going to be important in our discussion of today's Parsha. And the things that happen in these chapters are in many ways the sort of prelude to the crossing over that'll happen after the Torah ends. The book of Deuteronomy, which starts next week, is going to be entirely a set of speeches by Moses. But this week, we're wrapping up a lot of what's been going on for the last book of the Torah. And a lot of what's been going on for the last book of the Torah is, of course, that the Israelites have been growing in and struggling with their relationship with the land of Israel as they get closer and closer. So in many ways, this week's Parsha, or at least the incident we're going to read, is about what it is to live or not to live in the land of Israel. So this is from Numbers chapter 32. It says, The tribes of Reuben and Gad had a lot of cattle. And they look around and they see that the land that they're sitting on, which is on the other side of the Jordan River, is good cattle land. So the Reubenite and Gadite leaders come to Moses and they say to him, The land that the Eternal has conquered for the community of Israel, meaning the land that we're sitting on right now, is good cattle land, and we have cattle. So, Moses, could you do us the favor of giving us this land rather than moving us across the Jordan into the Promised Land? Now remember, the whole premise of the last 40 years has been that we're moving toward the promised land. In fact, a lot of what we read over the course of this week's Parsha and last week's Parsha is about the people distributing land, figuring out where everybody's going to live, what will be the relationship to the land and the people in the land, etc., etc. And now the Reubenites and the Gadites come along and they say, you know, Moses, 
maybe we won't come with you. Maybe we'll just stay right where we are. And so Moses gets angry. He treats this like one more rebellion in the desert, like this book has been full of rebellions in the desert. He says to them, Are your brothers, are your brethren going to go to war while you sit here? You can hear the anger in Moses' voice. And beyond that, maybe the bewilderment. What are we doing here if you're not planning to live in the land with us? What's going on here? Now, from a historical perspective, what's probably going on here is that you have two different definitions of Israel in the ancient world, one of which is a geographic definition, a land mass, and the other of which is a peoplehood designation, a group of tribes, a confederation of tribes that make up a people. And they don't exactly match. There are tribes of Israel who don't live in the land of Israel. They're not very far away. They're just on the other side. But this Parsha is trying to answer the question of how did these tribes become part of the confederation of Israel without living in what the Torah designates in this very Parsha as being Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel. So that's the historical tightrope that the Torah is trying to walk here. But what's really interesting is that the story the Torah presents to us is very much a story about diaspora. It's a story where a group of Jews or a group of Israelites decide that they don't want to live in the land of Israel, that for whatever reason, they're going to live outside the land. And that is a story that we can relate to, because so many of us have decided to make Jewish lives outside the land of Israel. So let's go on and talk about what happens next. As I said, the tribes of Reuben and Gad and actually half of Manasseh say, we don't want to come into the land. We want to stay here. Moses gets angry and essentially says, how dare you abandon us in this project of settling the land, of making a life for ourselves in the land. How can you be part of Israel and not be part of Israel? And the tribes of Reuben and Gad say, no, 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 we're not looking to abandon you. In fact, we will commit ourselves to being part of the project of making a life for Israel in the land of Israel. I'm reading here at verse 16 in chapter 32. It says, They stepped up to him and said, we will build here sheepfolds for our flocks and towns for our children, and we will hasten as shock troops in the van of the Israelites until we have established them in their home. In other words, we're going to come with you. We're going to be part of this project, even though we're going to live here. And the specific way that they decide to or offer to be part of the project is what the Torah calls nechaletz chushim, it's translated here as hastening as shock troops. The Hebrew is a little confusing here, but the roots have to do with pioneering and moving quickly. And so there's some kind of a sense that the Reubenites and Gadites are offering to be the front lines in this project, even though they're not actually going to live here in the end. So let's take a step back here, because what we have here is really truly a story about diaspora Jewish life. You have here the Torah presenting a story about Jews who care about the land of Israel but don't choose to live there. I've been thinking about this a lot as I've been watching 
the protests grow and grow in Israel. And today, I'm recording on Tuesday morning, we're seeing what they're calling a national day of disruption as Israelis protest the continuing erosion of democratic institutions by their own government. And as I watch this with a fair amount of distress, I often feel very far away. I love Israel, but I don't live there. I care about what goes on in Israel, but I don't have a vote. And so then I ask myself, what voice do I have? What voice should I have? Is it appropriate for me to join in a protest? Is it appropriate for me to speak out about things that are going on in a country of which I am not a citizen? But this week's Parsha actually gives us a model It presents a story, and a very old story at that, which essentially says that diaspora Jews do have a voice in what goes on in the land of Israel. Because, of course, Israel is not just some other country. Israel is, in many ways, the national Jewish project. Now, we have varying degrees of connection to it and varying degrees of actual voice, political voice in that project, depending on whether we live there, whether we are citizens, whether we fought in the army. And it's worth pointing out here that unlike the Reubenites and the Gadites, most of us diaspora Jews are not the shock troops. We're not on the front lines involved in the project of state building in the way that the Torah purports these tribes to be. But Israel is absolutely a Jewish project that involves us and that needs our voices, even those of us who live overseas, but still feel we have a stake in the building of the Jewish homeland. One voice I've often appreciated on this issue is that of Rabbi Rick Jacobs. Rabbi Jacobs is the head of the Union for Reform Judaism, the head of the Reform Movement here in North America. And his message has often been something along the lines of that Israel and diaspora need each other, that we have a lot to learn from each other. We are symbiotically connected with one another, and that the success of the one depends on the success of the other. So I'm reading here from an interview that he gave to Religion News Services back in March at the height, or at least at that point, the height of the protests in Israel. He said, my advice is that it's a time to lean in and not walk away. This is a time to express more solidarity out of love and moral clarity and concern. In other words, diaspora Jews do have and should have a stake and a voice in what goes on in Israel. And it might feel easier and easier to just want to walk away, especially for those of us who don't feel our Judaism and our values being represented in the actions of this particularly right-wing government. But if you look over across the ocean, you see that there are a lot of Israelis, fellow Jews, fellow participants in this project, who also don't feel their voices represented in the actions of this government. And if Israel is to be the national project of the Jews then they need to know that our voices are with them. So I encourage you to read up on what's going on in Israel if you haven't been following it. I encourage you to speak out, to make your voice heard. This week's Parsha reminds us that we have both a stake and a responsibility in the building of the land of Israel, in helping Israel be an expression of all that Jewish values demand 
that it should be. With regard to democratic values, with regard to human rights issues, with regard to the occupation, religious pluralism in Israel, all of these are issues that matter from a Jewish perspective. Our voices are needed. Our moral clarity is needed. Like the Reubenites and the Gadites, we have a voice. It's a different voice than those who live there and vote and serve in the army. But it's an important voice nonetheless. And with this, we complete the book of Numbers. And so, as we always do when we finish a book of the Torah, I'll say to you, Chazak, Chazak, Venit Chazek. Be strong, be strong, and let us continue to strengthen each other. Thanks for listening. Thanks for learning with me. And I'll see you in the classroom if you can join us on Friday to talk about Lechado Di. Or else I'll see you next week as we begin the book of Dvarim, the book of Deuteronomy. Seven Minute Torah is a production of La Asok, Sacred Texts, Modern Meaning. If you enjoy this program, please consider becoming a sponsor at patreon.com slash 7minutetorah. For more information about upcoming learning opportunities, go to laasoka.org, L-A-A-S-O-K dot org. I'm Rabbi Micah Streifer. Thanks for listening.